I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson. I'm your host for this 150th episode of our weekly tech talk. Later in the show, I'll be inviting PocketLink contributing editor Max Freeman-Mills to preview Switch Sports for Nintendo's multifunctional games console after he visited the Japanese gaming giants UKHQ to go hands-on ahead of a full launch. I'll also be talking with Stuart Tickle of AWE Europe about home cinema installations and the perpetual rise of the average home screen size. But first... Sky surprised us all this week with the announcement that it will offer its Skystream Puck as a standalone product to all, not just Skyglass customers. That effectively means you'll be able to get Sky TV without needing a satellite dish or the firm's all-in-one television option. Our deputy editor Britta O'Boyle joins me now to discuss the news. So Britt, what actually happened? So it looks like Sky has announced the Sky Puck, but rather than it working just with the Skyglass TV... You can actually use it independently, which is pretty exciting. It means you don't need the TV to get Sky over broadband. Which is hugely exciting. And in my opinion, something I expected um, them to launch alongside Skyglass or even instead of Skyglass when we went to that massive launch event earlier this year. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely it's definitely exciting. Who do you, you think this is going to appeal to, though? Because it's quite an interesting quite an interesting sort of idea right if you can get it without sky the sky q box or without the without the tv it's a much cheaper way of doing it certainly nothing else yeah i think it's something that sky has been looking at and should have been looking at for many years um in the fact that uh, its user base is limited to those that can have a satellite dish on the roof it tries to serve those with now tv or now as it's now now called <laughs> um <laughs> But um, that in itself has a, a strange makeup that's more like a, a, a sort of almost conventional streaming service. Sky, anyone who hasn't seen Skyglass or, or doesn't know much about Skyglass, Skyglass essentially offers the Sky TV experience, but with a different kind of front end that is best suited to streaming and to the internet rather than um, linear live TV. So what it does is you um, start up your TV and immediately it gives you a home screen rather than takes you through into a TV programming So and gives you loads and loads of content ideas of things to watch. Um, it doesn't have recordings, unlike SkyQ, so, uh, but it does have a playlist. So you can just tag anything you want to watch um, or anything that's coming up in the future on the because it does still have an EPG. And it, what it will do is it will tag that into your playlist bar and therefore give you access to the on-demand version of that show when available. So it's almost like recording, but um, you can't... The biggest uh, side effect to that is you can't keep it beyond the streaming service or the um, the provider's deadline. Um, like, for example, if if I recorded something last Christmas on my Sky Hugo Bucks, I could watch it today. However, 
on the Sky Glass TV, you can't do that. Now, the Sky Stream Puck is essentially Sky Glass TV without the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a small set-top box that um, looks like a puck, a, a, a hockey puck. It's not round. I don't know why they call it that, actually. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's it's tiny, um, smaller than the actual remote that comes with it. And you just set that up, like a set-top box, and away you go. And you can put it on your own TV. It's 4K, it's HDR, and it's got Dolby Atmos. So it's a, a pretty decent little piece of kit, and you will get a full Sky TV option. Now, the question, of course, you gave me, Brit was who will it appeal to, and it will appeal to most those who don't have a satellite on their di- on their roof for whatever reason. Uh, you might not be able to. You might be living in a protected building, and therefore you're not allowed to have Sky normally. This allows you then to have the full Sky TV. Do they have they announced pricing for it yet? Because I know they've they've not said when it's going to be available, have they? They just said later this year. So do we know roughly how much how much you think it might cost? What do you think? At present, no. Um, the um, I can't, uh, and to be honest, I can't remember how much Sky Glass costs on a monthly basis neither at the moment. Um, but I would imagine it'd be cheaper. Well, Sky Glass is split, isn't it? So you pay for the TV separately, yeah. The entertainment. So presumably, it would be again with the with the streaming or the stream puck, Sky Stream puck. Yeah, you would presumably pay for the Sky package as your main like cost i suppose during yeah. the month and then you obviously either you pay for the the thing itself in one go or you pay for it over however many months i'd imagine it would be included or i'd imagine you pay for it as a one off and then you do the entertainment package or sports package or whatever separately so it surely must be a much cheaper way to get it over skyq certainly and if you don't have the tv then you don't have that ongoing cost as well which is great yeah, my guess is that it will cost exactly the same. The subscription will cost exactly the same as it does on Sky Glass. Yeah, agreed. But the actual and the puck will either be free, like you suggest, or it will be so negligibly cheap. Yeah. That you'll either spread that cost over the first five months, or it will be, um, you know, it will be an extra fifty p per month for yeah. the for the duration of the contract because um, Sky does actually have a. Um, a history of this. Now, for listeners who don't know, Sky also has a major stake in Roku, the streaming device company. And Roku previously made um, devices, streaming devices for its now TV service. And those devices were extraordinarily cheap in comparison to others on the market because the, the, the kickback for Sky was that you would be paying for the now service because they sort of like although they did a few other things they were mainly set up just for that so i can see the same in this case um the other people that it will really appeal to are people that don't want to upgrade their tv or want to upgrade to a better tv than sky glass because sky glass around mid-range in terms of the quality i would say Um, whereas say for example you want to buy an oled tv you're not going to buy a sky glass no no but you could therefore have the Sky Stream Puck connected to your OLED TV because it is 4K HDR and you will still be getting Dolby Atmos um, out if, say, for example, you have a Sonos Arc soundbar. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, so um, I, I can't I can't actually see a, a, a side 
it's yeah, something right. I can't actually see anything bad about. No, no, me neither. Um, when they when they initially launched Sky Glass, they said the Sky's Dream Puck was fifty pounds each. Now, whether they'll change that or not, I guess we'll we'll find out in a, in a few months' time when they decide. But that would suggest that you would pay for that up front, I would say, and then you would then pay for the subscription separately. But um, the subscriptions, based on what we've seen, they're, they're quite they're quite reasonable, really, compared to what you pay for Sky Q, certainly. So it's definitely. So my last question is actually to you, Britt, is um, would you consider Sky Stream Puck over Sky Q? Yes, I think I would, mainly because of hopefully the price reduction, um, but also because you you can have less under your TV, less boxes and stuff, especially if this thing's tiny compared to what a Sky Cube box is. Um, and I like things to be nice and neat and tidy. So, yes, I would, I think. What about you? Excellent. Would you? Uh, and on a second TV. I... <laughs> He's like, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, to be honest, the Sky Q mini boxes are really rubbish. And you know that's that's for balance. Yeah, mine go. crashes constantly. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Skystream Puck does in comparison. Mm. So um, if I could replace a SkyQ mini box with a Skystream Puck, that would be something I'd be interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. Fair. Coming up in a bit, Max Freeman Mills tells us about his hands-on experience with Nintendo's new Switch Sports. Will it see the return of motion gaming as a big deal? There's nothing quite like standing next to someone and, you know, trying to beat them while flailing your hands at a tennis match or, you know, trying to gently uh, gently release a bowling ball <laughs> in a sports game from this series. Now, though, let's turn our attention to home cinema technology, as I recently spoke with Stuart Tickle, the managing director of distributor AWE Europe, who explained to me how his company supplies and trains custom installers and retailers. We chatted about home cinema experiences in general and how the industry is thriving in the era of ever-increasing TV screen sizes. I started by asking him to explain AWE's role in the home theatre business. We are a specialist distribution company and we work specifically into the sort of smart home and home cinema type markets, which is covering independent integrators who are kind of like digital plumbers, people that go around people's homes but actually do all the entertainment and integration side. Um, but we also work with some uh, retailers as well. And is that moving really well at the moment? I mean, uh, we've seen certainly with the pandemic over the last couple of years uh, that the entertainment businesses thrived because people have been stuck at home. Are people looking towards um, more expansive setups and, say, for example, uh, larger installations now than they were, say, beforehand? Without a doubt. We've been on quite a scr- strong growth path uh, probably for the last sort of 15, 20 years, to be to be frank, in this side of things. But where where that was very much the emergence of the custom install market, which tended to be known as being higher-end uh, installation. So installers going to people's homes with plenty of disposable income or more, and, and fulfilling their dreams and desires from an entertainment control and home cinema side of things. It, it's over the last probably five years, but pandemic certainly helped further increase people's perception of the value of their home 
and we have seen further growth sort of being brought forward as a result of that. Traditionally, um, and uh, when people consider a home cinema, they've thought of a, a special room in the house that is kitted out specifically just to watch movies and TV shows or even play mm-hmm. games nowadays. But do you see a, an uptrend in people now wanting a more sort of like generic living room space turned into the, uh, that kind of entertainment centre? Yes, without a doubt. And part of that is because what you can do now with the technology at the price points you can get it is is far greater. So again, going back um, you know, a decade or so to get what you would call a home cinema, just by nature of the level, the expense of the individual components to get a, a, a very strong performance that you could equate to a cinema rather than a soundbar or just a home hi-fi. Uh, system you had to spend so much it it warranted a more dedicated space big projection screen on the wall you're probably hiding speakers so at that point you're you're building frames within rooms to hide stuff and fabric it out so the whole cost time process was was quite extensive um now you have so many more options about how you get to a set level of performance and the key is actually now not so much whether it's a separate room or the same room. It's utilizing, it's extracting the best performance from the budget you have effectively. And that can be done in a number of ways. Um, we've seen statistics saying that the average home screen size for a television now is around 55 inches, maybe slightly higher between 55 and 65. Um, has that actually helped home cinema custom installers or has or or are they sort of like um, a little worried that the tv market is growing so much that projector use might be diminishing um well i mean average screen size we would call uh, for, for what we supply um who so tv wise we're supplying custom installers rather than retailers and 55 would be considered a small screen so 65 would be a default in, in a living room, 75 if you've got someone that's interested more in uh, you know, movies, gaming, and of course with sport and uh, Netflix and Prime and all the other streaming services, big screens are now um, you know a really important part of people's entertainment. And you mentioned the pandemic, it's their it's their get out, it's their it's their getaway, it's their escape. So whether it's sport, gaming, movies um, big screens are definitely on the up. We are selling 65, 75, 85s routinely. Um, we sell 100-inch screens monthly. Um, of course, that's at the higher end. Um, but it's not diminishing projection. Projection, certainly all our experience, and including dealing with the sort of major independent retailers um, like Richard Sands and Seven Oaks, who are addressing a fairly mainstream market, it's certainly on the increase. Um, so I just think that overall, I think the content driven, there's so much more content you can get aside from the pandemic where people were locked in and couldn't go out. Um, you know, there's so much content, be it sport um, or, uh, you know, series to watch. And that's before you talk about gaming and all this other stuff that's growing massively. Um, the other uh, thing I was going to ask is, do you think that uh, the fact that 4k hdr projection is becoming a lot cheaper is a major driver of that 
the 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 years in the past where a projector that people could afford was what people relate to the experience you get in your average pub um, is long gone. So it used to be that when you said, I've got a projector, what people actually had is some form of data projector or office projector that they put on some kind of coffee table and pointed at a wall and the performance was pretty poor. So um, that is nowhere near the case now. You can, uh, we just do Epson, for example, and um, okay, whilst it might still be classed as expensive for some, there's, you know, sort of between the one and three thousand pound point can get you an incredible performance um, to get a really bright, crisp image that performs well. Um, you know, things like the awards show that, uh, you know, what we would call a mid-range projector at a couple of grand, two, two and a half, you can actually get a picture that blows people away. So, you know, the other end of the scale, it starts moving up to get true native 4K. Uh, you're talking £5,000 upwards. Um, so I think, again, what, one of the things we do is we're very strong in our training and it's helping retailers and therefore consumers understand the difference between the price points. Because um, there's no point just spending more money for the sake of it. You have to understand what the benefits are at a given price point. Um, but you can now get projectors for the home that will outperform what your average cinema has when you uh, when you go and see it with all those popcorn and crisp packets rattling and the fire mm-hmm. escape signs and those people on the phone behind you. You know, people are much more willing to invest more heavily in a dedicated space now. Um, the one thing that I've always found that was quite a barrier to home cinema when you're thinking of a generic, a general home cinema or a home theatre experience was being able to get people to experience it before purchase. Mm-hmm. Now, you supply to a lot of uh, retailers and uh, custom installers. How do they demo it to customers to get them to understand the genuine benefits to a home cinema setup, say, instead of a TV and a soundbar? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The This is the thing we've worked incredibly hard um, uh, with our brands to um, provide training, first of all, uh, so at a retail level for the wider market, but also for the custom installers, um, the demo is everything. There's very few people that would be willing to, um, you know, spend out you know, the price of a small car, let alone a premium car, without at least going to see it and kick the tires and probably drive it around the block. And there's no reason why we should expect consumers to do the same with uh, their entertainment space. Um, the terms we talk about these things now if you are just going to buy a tv and a soundbar you can probably do it from reviews and do a lot of research but you still really want to go and see it if you can when you're investing in something like a home cinema be it a media room or a dedicated space you really want to experience it customers are buying the experience they're not buying a model number and a review in a box they they have to understand what they're investing in um People probably know the difference between a Hyundai and a BMW and a Kia and, you know, at the top end, the Ferraris and the Porsche. You can't often, you know, most people can't explain that difference when you're talking about home cinema. What's the difference between a £1,500 solution and a five grand, a 25 and even a 100, 150 grand solution? So um, we've worked hard to, first of all, give the training to retailers, integrators about what the differences in the technology give you. But now you will find um, 
there's at least 100 major retailers around the UK that have got uh, dedicated demo rooms where you could go and hear um, and experience what a home cinema gives you. Um, for ourselves, we actually set up a whole demo facility at our HQ in Epsom, which is for the trade to use, but they can bring end users by appointment. Um, and we've actually got a whole show apartment and two dedicated cinema rooms. One's a 25K room, the other's a 150K room, depending on how you want to slice it. Um, but we're also comparing that to a straightforward TV on a wall um, with a 5.1 system in our apartment as well. So it's a, it's a very important part. Um, I suppose my final question is um, mainly about the audio side of home cinema, which sometimes overlooked. Funny enough, people always ask us about how, what the pitch quality of something is, but they rarely ever ask us about the audio quality. Um, do you think that um, the massive explosion of Dolby Atmos soundbars is somewhat diminishing the sales of genuine home cinema separates? I think this is the age-old um, question, you know, d when supermarkets started selling DVD players with bundles of 10 DVDs for 100 quid, um, you know, the actual DVD player was pretty rubbish, but it got people, it got the exposure for um, those that product and technology. And uh, a lot of those people went on to buy, um, if I might say, proper equipment later on um, because they started to see the benefits but were perhaps disappointed with what they had. Um, I think it's important for people to realize that companies license technology because they are ultimately commercial bodies that need to make money, invest in future technologies. There is always going to be a difference in, in, a, in any market between the budget and the mid and the premium. Um, so I don't think it, it stops people buying a proper home cinema or a proper discrete um, you know, surround amp and speaker package. Um, I think what it might do is give people the impression they have Dolby Atmos when they don't actually have the experience. What they have is the technology and the license with some kind of, um, you know, technology that represents better than uh, something less, but it's certainly not what we would call home cinema. And finally, um, what for you, do you think is the future of home cinema? Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> um, the it's the experience. I'm not going to name one technology um, because it. This is all about the experience. Um, people pay to go to the cinema to get a better experience than they may have in their home. People pay for a home cinema or a media room or whatever equipment they can put in their home to get as close as they can to that or even better it because it's actually possible to get a better experience at home than it is in the commercial cinema because you're you're bringing it um, if you have the budget of course you're, you're you're doing it in your own space um, for one person not not 300 people um, so whatever that next stage brings, I mean, I, I'm gobsmacked every time we see, uh, you know, the new projectors, the new TVs, um, and it moves it on again. Um, that isn't going to stop you know, until we're sitting in a room and it really feels like real life. Um, you know, that whole experience is just going to keep getting better uh, year on year. And um, people are 
wanting to escape from um you know what's been a pretty torrid few years and and you know circling back to your starting point people are investing in their homes and entertainment and home cinema is much higher up that that agenda now um and i think i'll just finally add to say you know these are these are nothing to do you know it's not even necessarily home cinema now these are family entertainment spaces and and that's where the value is coming in with a multi-purpose use of uh, of the rooms the the media room versus a home cinema room is actually more to do with the aesthetics these are all family entertainment spaces now on to our preview after many years of effectively abandoning motion gaming, Nintendo is taking a punt on their still being significant interest in waving your arms around while playing a game. And what better way to do it than to reintroduce a much-loved classic, Wii Sports. It's for the Switch this time though and offers several other sports to interact with. To tell us more on his experience playing a hands-on build is Max Freeman Mills. So Max, you've tried out Switch Sports, what do you think of it? Well, it was a little bit like uh, traveling back in time, but in, in the best way possible. I hadn't realized how much I'd missed the era of Wii Sports, but the minute you start swinging a Joy-Con around uh, in front of your Switch, you realize that, you know, as much as things have changed quite a lot and the graphical fidelity is a little bit better than it used to be, there's there's nothing quite like standing next to someone and, you know, trying to beat them while flailing your hands at, at a tennis match or you know, trying to gently, uh, gently release a bowling ball <laughs> uh, in, in a sports game from this series. To be honest, the thing that really struck me as I was playing was just that I was amazed it took Nintendo this long. Um, you know, both the Wii and the Wii U got sports titles within a couple of years of launch, if not at launch. But we've had five years of the Switch and it's kind of, I'm just glad it's finally arrived, basically, albeit at the end of the month. I mean, that's the thing is when the Switch launched, there were... A few motion games, one, two, Switch being the one that I still to this day play, um, but they kind of eased eased back on the sort of like the motion stuff, didn't they? Until now, of course, it looks like it's coming back. Yeah, and it, as you say, it's 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 pretty odd because I think if you talk to certainly more casual gamers or or one of the many sort of families that had a Wii but then didn't necessarily replace it immediately in a few years. Wii Sports is just such a universal part of the Wii experience. Everyone remembers it. Everyone loves the menu music. Everyone remembers the the fun of playing against kind of, you know, older family members who might not have been uh, able to get into games with controllers. But the the kind of the rise of motion controls in the mid-noughties felt unstoppable. Obviously, the Switch has always had the motion capabilities. And as you say, 1-2-Switch was kind of a really fun way of exploring them. But it's just amazing to me that it took this long for a mainline sports uh, <laughs> entry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly welcome. And it's an interesting, it takes an interesting place in the series because it's much closer to just that Wii Sports original template than obviously there were a couple of sequels that added quite a lot more sports. Switch Sports is playing it quite straight. You've got six to choose from. I'll list them just for, for people's convenience. It, it's bowling, tennis, badminton, volleyball, Chambara, which is sword fighting, and then football. Um, so obviously, a couple of those are pretty familiar, especially bowling and tennis. Badminton really isn't a kind of game changer. You, you know what it's like to swing a racket. But football is certainly quite an interesting one. It's kind of a, a full third person football game. It's almost like the slowest Rocket League you've ever played. <laughs> um, it's going to be really interesting to see how people take to the different sports, I think. Um, and all I could do uh, in the preview session, obviously, was um, I played through the tutorials of all the sports and then had a couple of games on each against another journalist. 
which admittedly is, you know, pretty much the perfect way to sample a game like this. But we couldn't play online and online is clearly going to be quite a big part of the offering as compared to the days of the Wii where Nintendo's online services were still, I think it's fair to say, pretty ropey. Nowadays, they're a lot better. So it'll be very interesting to see how much of a community pops up uh, playing these games to, you know, differing levels of competitivity. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you, you've established that you played it more in a hands-on way. You, you, didn't, you haven't reviewed it fully yet. Um, when's it coming out? Do we know? Yeah, it comes out just at the end of the month. Uh, and at that point, the, the servers should, should switch on. We'll be updating our preview straight away into a full review with my with my kind of final thoughts on the game. But I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that f- from that quite in-depth preview, I think it's pretty likely to be at least something of a hit. Um, especially, I think, if Nintendo can do enough of a job with the marketing to spell out to parents who might have a dim memory, even a muscle memory, of the Wii Sports days, that this is just the perfect addition to that ever-growing lineup of great family games on the Switch, you know. And it comes in a year when it's not even the only one, you know. We just had a new Kirby game that's also another example of how Nintendo just gets family games, you know. These could be entertaining for adults, but they're also completely welcoming for kids. Uh, And Switch Sports, I think, is is another perfect example of how good Nintendo is at, at that area. I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that um, anybody with a Switch Lite, um, you can't really play it at its maximum. Can you play it at all? No. So that's one thing, yeah, as you say, very much worth knowing. This is a motion-only game, and there aren't actually that many of those on the Switch, but that does mean you've got no hope if you're trying to play it uh, in, a, in um, handheld mode. It's, it's just uh, for docked mode, so you'll be using the the Wemo uh, sorry the Joy Cons indeed in your hands and then actually also um, very limitedly at the moment you will be able to strap one Joy Con to your leg using the same exact leg strap that came with um, Ring Fit Adventure um, when that came out it's basically just the same little accessory now at the moment when the game launches that's only in use in one slice of the football mode so you can play a penalty shootout game against each other. And that lets you kick your Joy-Con uh, at it's sort of timing it to try and score a goal. It's pretty fun. We did try it out. After launch, the football game more widely will get kicking support using the leg strap. From that point, it's a little bit unclear whether other games will also get leg actions. Obviously, it doesn't fit all of them as well as it does with football. But again, that's another little twist on things. And if you've already got Ring Fit Adventure, it's a nice little bonus because you're not obligated to buy anything extra. You can just try it out with your leg strap when, uh, when you get the game. So from what you've played so far, uh, which was your favourite sports game on the collection? Yeah, it's a, it's a toss-up for me. And not to belittle any of the new games, but for me, it's absolutely either bowling or tennis. They both tick different boxes. but Classics. Yeah, exactly. Just the classics. Tennis is still so fun and so accessible. You know, you can try you can try your best at the beginning of a rally to place your shots, but I guarantee within 30 seconds, you'll be panicking and just throwing the racket all over the place. And then on the other side of the scale, bowling is just, it's just so relaxing. It's so chilled, you know, it, not least because it makes you feel like a bowling god when actually if you go down the 10 pin, you know, I, I can say I've got no ability myself, but on we on uh, Switch Sports with, a, with the benefit of aiming, it's just, it's just a lovely time uh, <laughs> playing against friends. So yeah, either of those is definitely my top pick still. So that's it for this week's podcast. 
Hope you enjoyed it, and if so, please leave a review on your listening platform of choice. For now, I've been Rick Henderson, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Toodle bit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.